everyone. Welcome once again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, and I'm with Mike Howerton. Of course, Run Out Radio is brought to you by our good friends at Tiger Products, Corey and Tony. Make sure you say hello to them when you call. Tell them you heard about it. Heard about Tiger, at least, on Run Out Radio. It will not get you a discount, but it may get them to keep advertising and sponsoring Run Out Radio, and that's all that's really important. We're also brought to you by Predator. Predator Cues. You need a low deflection cue. Make sure you check out the Predator line. Mike, how you doing this week? I'm doing good. Doing very good. Well, <clears throat> we've got a lot to talk about this week. Um, quite a bit's been going on in the world of pool. Yeah, you know, you always uh, close the show that, saying that we'll do another show as soon as we've got something to talk about. There is never a lack of things to talk about in the billiards world. Yeah, and you just go ahead and tease our audience because we've got two great interviews coming up later. Um, we have the captains of this year's Moscone Cup team, and we're going to be talking to both of them. And I think uh, that you'll want to hear what Nick Varner and Alex Laley have to say. I, I think it's going to be a great Moscone Cup. Um, you know, we've got we've got five very deserving players on each team. You could certainly argue that other players may have deserved to be on a team due to their accomplishments during the year, but uh, these five players play very well. It's going to be an extremely interesting Moscone Cup when you consider how the European players have been uh, have been performing all year. I, I think this may be the first time in quite some time that you could consider the European players favorites in this event. I think you have to consider them favorites, considering that all of our current world champions are out of Europe, and quite a few of them are on this Moscone Cup team. Uh, but at the same time, you look at that American team, and that is a frightening uh, team of, of guys they've got. I mean, those are some powerful pool players. But uh, we'll be talking all about that uh, just a little bit later. Um, right now we've got some other news uh, to discuss. Which would you like to, to uh, take care of first, Uh the Jasmine story, it seems to be the story of the week. Yeah, uh, the story broke. Uh, you know, we, we spoke to Jasmine um, when we were in Manila for the World Ten Ball Championship, and she said that it was a tough decision as to whether to play in the World Ten Ball or the WPBA event, but you don't get the opportunity, or in her words, you don't get the opportunity to play in a world championship every day. Not that you get the opportunity to play in a WPBA event every day either, but she felt that the right decision was made to play in the 10-ball the event. And I would like to preface anything I say and say that you and I's comments regarding this particular incident are the comments of two... Uh, members of Run Out Radio. Uh, I mean, a number of people in the billiards industry wear different hats, and I'm sure that we will get into the different hats that we wear later in the show. But just a little bit later, just a little <laughs> bit. Right, right, right now. Yeah, let's right. keep focused on on our our what we've heard about Jasmine, what we know about Jasmine. I mean, let's face it, we did talk to Jasmine in Manila, and she said that. When she has the opportunity to play against uh, what she considers to be the best players in the world, she's not going to pass on that opportunity because she thinks that uh, it builds her game. She thinks it makes her game stronger. She has always played against the men her entire career. 
she enjoys playing against the men. And let's face it, she does a bang-up job playing against the men since the guy that she, that won this year's uh, World 10-Ball Championship is the same guy that she knocked out of the World 8-Ball Championship. Right. Uh, you could easily argue that she is the most successful female player in open events since Jean Belukas. I mean, oh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a gimme. Now, what has happened, of course, is that since she played in the World Championship, the WPBA had an event that same week. They told her that she would have to play in the WPBA event, not in the World Championship, and we'll get into the reasons for that in just a second. She very politely told them that she could not uh, meet their wishes, that she uh, was determined uh, to play in the World Championship. Now... And make sure I get this right, Mike. (laughs) The reason that the WPBA takes such a strong stance on their star players coming to play in all WPBA events is that the WPBA sells the tournament as a package, as a product, to broadcasters, to sponsors, and to venues. And those broadcasters, sponsors, and venues expect to see the star players, all the players of the WPBA show up for these tournaments because that's the package they bought and paid for. Absolutely. So you can absolutely understand why the WPBA would take the stance of you are a part of the WPBA package. We are required for you to show up because that's what we've sold these people. I, I have seen it on online blogs, and, and I spend a fair amount of time reading that kind of thing, because I have nothing better to do. And yeah, yeah, the comparison has been made, saying that Jasmine is to the WPBA as Tiger Woods is to the PGA, and I'm certainly not going to go that far. But Jasmine is an important part of the package, Um She's a young player, she's a, she's an attractive player, she's a very strong player. She is certainly part of that upper echelon six to eight players who are capable at any time of snapping off a WPBA event. And when the right. WPBA is missing a player of that magnitude, it does lessen their product to an extent. Yeah, you really, I mean, everyone expects certain players to be at these events, and Jasmine has become one of those certain players. And so the WPBA has taken action, and again, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they have suspended her from the next two events. Right, suspended from the Florida event, which is the season finale for this year, which may or may not still be going on by the time the listeners hear this, and she was also suspended from the first event from next year. So this will be a total of three events that she missed due to this decision because she also missed the one that started this whole thing. Right. Well, that's that's going to be a crippling blow to her ranking points. I mean, that's that's severe. Yes, it is. Now, I don't know if the WPBA is going to continue or if they're going to do the same thing next year that they did this year of zeroing out the points at the beginning of the year. I have no idea. Um but it's it's going to hurt. The, the one comment that I've heard is, if the WPBA <clears throat> told her when she 
resigned from that event and told them that she would not be there. If they told her at that point that the penalty was going to be a another suspension of, of two additional events, then I don't have any problem with what the, the WPBA did. If they told her there are going to be repercussions, and if this suspension is not in line with past suspensions of other players, have there been any? I don't know. Uh, then, then, then you've got something you can argue about. But if they told her up front, I don't see that there's any argument at all. Well, my understanding is she knew that there would be penalties. I don't know if she knew what those penalties would be. And as far as penalizing a player like this, I think you have to go all the way back to Gene Belucas many, many moons ago. When Are you sure? Has there been a, a penalty like this? Wasn't there something with uh, Jeanette Lee one time where she had a... A, a private engagement where she had to miss an event. Although I'm not sure about this, maybe she, maybe she straightened that out and and, and went to the event anyway. Um, but I thought there was another player who had been in this kind of hot water. Although my my memory is not clear on it. Yeah, I, I don't remember that, and it's not even ringing a bell to me. Okay. Now I know that Belucas was fined, and when she refused right. to pay the fine, she was suspended. Right. But, again, this this whole story is not anywhere near complete. Uh, Jasmine is appealing the ruling, and there's no telling what will happen. Um, well, that's part of it. I don't understand. How can you appeal the ruling when one of the events you're suspended from is going on as you make the appeal? I mean, do you get to play in that event or, or <laughs> not? I don't see how you could. <laughs> you won the appeal. We'll get all the players back, and we'll play yeah. the event all yeah. over again. Yeah, we'll do this all over for you, Jason. No problem. Uh, now, I did notice a, a <laughs> remark on the forums saying, why would the WPBA schedule an event on top of a world championship? That's I not how it happened. Yeah, I don't think that's the order it happened in. The WPBA announces their dates at the beginning of the year, and the World 10-Ball dates, I don't believe, were announced until afterwards, which just goes to show you that, once again, we need to have some kind of all-encompassing calendar system, and then the promoters have to actually refer to that calendar system, although I think some promoters do refer to a calendar like that for different reasons. Um, but the, the promoters need to try to find some way to not schedule events on top of each other. And This wasn't an issue in the past because women were not allowed to play in world championships. Um, right. Mr. Makabenta trying to make his event a stronger field and, and make his event a more enticing one to television allowed the female players to play. Right. And that's the WPA rule, which is if there is a world championship in a discipline and there's only one world championship, there's not a men's and a women's, then all sexes are, are allowed into that world championship. Well, we'll have to, time will tell where this leads. Uh, but, um, I think that, uh, the WPBA was put in a tough spot, and frankly, I can see how they would have to take some action. They can't have their stars not showing up for the big show. At the same time, I identify with Jasmine because, you know, she did what she felt she had to do, so more power to her. 
Well, she made the decision, and, and there are not a lot of players that would step up to or stand up to the WPBA and say, I understand I'm going to get penalized for this, but this is what I'm going to do. Maybe, yeah. maybe Jasmine is taking pool to a different area that we've never really seen before. Well, shall we continue our discussion with another topic of the WPBA? Yes, uh, I think we have a couple. Yes, we do. And the one I want to get to first is the WPBA has a brand new board member, which is why story. we had to make the uh, the uh, comment earlier about how we're talking here as journalists, because Mike Howerton is the new WPBA member board member. So congratulations, Mike. I think they've, uh, they've gotten a great board member. Well, I hope so. Um, I was I was incredibly honored when I was asked to uh, submit my name when the voting was going on, and when the voting happened, you and I were both in Manila, and I was I was not able to make it to the event, so everything I was told about the voting was uh, secondhand. But I understood that the two board members who were stepping down were asked to remain on the board because, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of things that, that are being worked on at the WPBA. They're trying to improve their product. I mean, they've they've moved into pay-per-view video at this event, which we'll discuss a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense that the two players who were leaving the board were asked to stay so that they would have that same group of people working on the same projects and they wouldn't have to bring somebody in and try to explain the whole thing to them. Now, of course, when I heard about it in Manila, I was shocked, but, you know, we get over it. So I was once again honored when I was told that a member was leaving the board and that the board would need to replace that member and the voting would not go down to the players, which I'll be honest, I would have liked to have been voted on by the players, but being on the board in any way, um, I take it as a compliment, and I hope to serve them well. Now, are you going in with a blank slate, or do you have an agenda that you're going to bring to the board? Oh, no. Uh, I, I'm i just now getting caught up to speed on some of their plans for the future, and I'm offering my input when I can, and uh, I'm spending a lot more time listening right now than anything else. But as a member of the board, you'll have considerable influence. I'm assuming this means you'll be able to get me a date with Ava. Hmm. You know, Jerry, um, you're a good friend of mine, and I consider Ava a good friend of mine, and your wife is a good friend of mine, and there are two people in that group that I like way too much to do that, and you're not one of them. (laughs) Well, my my wife likes Ava a lot, too. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's great. I really do, and... um, I know they've they've gotten a hard worker and a guy who thinks things through, so um, I think it was a great choice. I hope so. Um, I've been a fan of the WPBA for longer than I've even considered running a billiards website. Uh, I grew up grabbing the magazines and, and reading about Lori John and Jean Belucas and, and Ava before she was a Lawrence and uh, Jeanette Lee and and Robin Bell, and, you know, just to help be a part of of steering that organization is a huge honor. 
the WPBA is undergoing some changes. It should be interesting. I'd be interested in knowing how the uh, requirement for uh, high-density television beginning in February of '09, will affect uh, their production uh, abilities. I would think it would uh, be a lot, a bit more complex at least. They've got the same hurdles that every other tour has to, to go over in the coming year because of the economy. Sponsors are going to be tougher and tougher to come by. Uh, but if anybody can do it, I think the girls can. I think so. Um, they're making a lot of decisions. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, you know, they've moved to online pay-per-view for this event, the, the Nationals in Florida. Um, they're trying it out, and, and they're seeing what the response is going to be. I think it's interesting. Uh, they're, they're making some good decisions. They're, they're having the ability to promote some of the lesser-known players. The fans can only see so many matches where Allison plays Karen over and over and over again, and those matches are great, but there's a lot of other players that can be promoted and are very deserving of that. And those players are really starting to make a mark on that tour. I think the, the days of only seeing Allison and Karen are, uh, are now behind us. Well, I'll... Uh... I'll be very interested in how the pay-per-view went. Um, the pay-per-view will probably be over by the time our listeners hear this, so I won't get too far into hyping it and suggesting that everyone go out and watch, but I know I will be watching. Yeah, and for future events, you can go to WPBA.com and uh, sign up for their pay-per-view. And the WPBA has really bettered their coverage of events while they're going on. I mean, there was a time when there was next to nothing on their site during an event, and now the brackets are updated multiple times a day. There are usually stories as matches are going on uh, during the four days of the event. Really, I mean, when there's an event going on, there is no place, AZ Billiards included, where you can get better coverage of that event than at their website. Yep, it's a good one. What's next on our agenda today, my friend? Well, um, I think we can get to our guests. We've got uh, two guests chomping at the bit to tell us uh, how they're going to lead their respective teams to Moscone Cup victory. Yeah, um, I believe their first guest is going to be Nick Varner, who's on the line with us uh, out of Kentucky. Nick, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, Jerry and Mike. Good. Mike, did you want to start this uh, session off yeah um nick you kind of got your work cut out for you after um <clears throat> the team europe performance last year now you have experience playing on a team usa that was trying to come back after losing to team europe how much pressure do earl and johnny and rodney and shane feel after the way they played last year, which, I mean, let's face it, they didn't play their top game, but what do you think is going through their mind knowing that they've got this coming up and they get a chance to redeem themselves? Well, uh, you know, the last couple of years haven't been a lot of fun for the American team. I guess a couple of years ago they uh, they tied, and then, uh, and, uh, then last year they lost. So uh, I think that... Uh, I think they're really going to be focused this year, and uh, and I think that's going to be real key to keep them focused on the van and uh, the ultimate goal. 
Well, and as the captain of the team, it seems like, I mean, all the players can play top-notch pool. There's not a question of, do you have a first string or a second string? It seems more like being the captain is about managing personalities and making sure that you, you know, you can deal with someone who may have lost a match and it might be in his head and, you know, maybe the hot hand getting him back out there. Do you have any insight into these players that makes it easier for you to do that? Yeah, I think I know most of these players pretty well. Uh, Shane, I know him <laughs> the least of uh, anyone, but uh, I certainly know that uh, every, uh, Shane and uh, everybody else on the team, they're all U.S. Open champions, so so it's really a strong team, and I, I don't think uh, uh, the talent's going to be the issue. I think performance during that four-day period, I think that's the key thing we got to concentrate on. Well, let, let me get right to a hard question for you, Nick, and and that is that this is the Moscone Cup, and we've kind of established a pattern here over the last few years with the Moscone Cup. As soon as Earl walks out on the stage, they try to bait him, and sooner or later, they get him, and he goes nuts, and when he does, he alienates himself from the fans, he alienates himself from the team, and now America's no longer got a team. they got the rest of the guys, and they got Earl. Uh, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to keep Earl from being baited into a state where he just doesn't play well? Because they, they seem to, the fans seem to be able to bait him pretty well at the Moscone Cup. Well, of course, you're going one direction. I want to go the other direction. I want to uh, uh, look at Earl as uh, a five-time U.S. Open champion and a, and a five- or six-time uh, world nine-ball champion. And uh, and what I'm interested in is uh, uh, anything I can do to, to, to help Earl uh, uh, perform a lot better. And uh, I've been on the team, uh, uh, well, I've been involved with the Moscone Cup five times so so i've had some experience and earl's been on there every time and uh and uh i I know a lot of people are worried about uh that happening but uh i think that uh what i think is going to happen i think earl's going to bring that intensity and focus uh to the table i i think he's got to have a bad taste in his mouth from the last couple of years and uh and uh one thing about earl uh uh, you let him start rolling, and the rest of them might as well take a seat. Oh, that's true. When Earl's in gear, <laughs> he doesn't get beat. But let's take a look at what you're up against. On the European team, we've got Mika Eminen. He just won the U.S. Open. You've got Ralph Suquet. He's a world champion this year and in years past. Niels Fayen, a world champion this year, world, won the straight pool world championship. Mark Gray, number one on the Euro Tour. He's an old snooker shooter. We know how those guys pot balls. And Tony Drago, who uh, last year they thought he would be the weak link on the Euro team. He turned out to be the most valuable player. You've got a hill to climb. Oh, I didn't say it's going to be easy. <laughs> we're up against a, <laughs> we're up against a, a tough team, but, uh, you know, I just... Uh, I tend to think that uh, we're going to bring that cup back. Uh, I just think that uh, I have a lot of confidence in this team, and uh, they're all great players. And uh, the European team, as you pointed out, is uh, is is going to be a, a tough team to beat. But that's what's going to make uh, our victory a lot sweeter. Um, 
Nick, last year, Kim Davenport was the captain of Team USA, and it seemed like he spent most of the the opening night where they were doing their speeches and everything talking about what an honor it was to play on Team USA, but then he really, really got into the kind of pressure that the players were under. It seemed like maybe he might have stressed that too much instead of keeping his players loose like Team Europe was, it almost seemed as if he got them more stressed out. Do you think that that, that sort of thing may have contributed to what happened last year? Well, I didn't go last year. and I, I know they didn't win, but uh, that team stuff is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really difficult because it's kind of like a pool when you compete. You know, people always say, what's your most important match? And and I always think it's my next one. <laughs> the last ones always the last ones are always a part of a history lesson. But uh, but uh, these guys, you know, have won so many tournaments on Team America that uh, I, I think they handle pressure great. And uh, uh, I think the, uh, the the toughest thing to do to win that cup is we're we're against uh, a strong European team. I think is uh, we just got to have our focus and concentration and uh, our execution to be better than them during that four-day period. It doesn't matter what happened last week or, or what might happen next week. We got to focus on on each match and uh, play like each match is a winning match. Jerry mentioned uh, Tony Drago, and Tony was very rightfully so the MVP last year. His particular style of play... When he starts to get confidence going, it seems to make him play better, and, and Team Europe kind of fed off that, and then they got more confident. And I imagine he's going to be even tougher to deal with playing in Malta. How do you combat as a, as a team captain, and how do you combat as a player playing somebody like that? Well, I've seen Tony play a few times, and uh, you're right. Once he, once he gets rolling, he... He plays a little bit like Earl. He's uh, flying around the table, and uh, it really gets the crowd pumped up and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I hope that uh, we can slow him down a little bit, I hope. One major difference that we noticed in the commentary box last year between Team America and, and Team Europe is the Europeans were out there in the stands cheering their teammates on as they played, and the Americans were not there. They were down in the practice room staying in stroke. Well, you can see an advantage to both sides. Uh, staying in stroke is an obvious advantage, but, you know, being out there cheering on your teammate and, and acting as a team, winning and losing as a team, is also something that you can see the benefit of. What are you going to advise your team to do? Stay down in the practice room and, and practice as in years past? or come up and cheer their teammates on? Well, now you're getting into some uh, you're getting into some stuff that's really important in winning, and uh, I do have a couple uh, uh, secrets up my sleeve that, uh, that I hope uh, will help out. Uh, uh, I don't think I want to discuss those right at this time. Well, you dog you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. You've hit on some. Uh, you hit on. Uh, you've hit on some of the things that uh, you know that are, are real important there, and uh, 
I got a, I got some ideas what I want to do, but I don't think I want to put them right out there right now. <laughs> All right, let's go another way. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Americans generally are arriving in Europe um, with more jet lag problems than the Americans. I mean, than the Europeans. Do you have any sort of cure for that? Because they they tend to come to to play the first day tired. I mean, if you look at the history of the Moscone Cup, uh, Europe almost always takes the lead on day one. Yeah, for years uh, we always struggled with those. Uh, we're, I guess, uh, in America we we were so used. It seemed like we always really shined in the. Uh, of course, that changed, but uh, in uh, in the later years, but. Seemed like in the beginning we just had a hard time with them team matches, <laughs> yeah. and uh, when the individuals came, we couldn't wait to get started. <laughs> uh, 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 we always really uh, 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 in the individual matches, our performance seemed to just get so much stronger. Where it seemed like uh, those uh, those team matches, a lot of times we struggled. Maybe part of that uh, was jet lag. Now we are going to get there, I think. Everybody's getting there, I hope, on Tuesday this year, so we don't have to play the Thursday. So that that does give us uh, hopefully a couple of nights to get the good nights of sleep. So hopefully everybody will, will be ready to go. And plus, I think the matches don't start until Thursday evening, I think I saw on the schedule at 8 o'clock or something. So, so we do have a little bit of time. It's not like we're flying over on Wednesday and start out we got that extra day. I think that's pretty big. At least, uh, well, I think that's the way it's set up. Well, how much control do you plan to exert over your players? I mean, I, I look at um, things like when soccer teams travel, their coaches will, uh, football teams, any other pro sport team, their coaches will actually tell them what time they have to be in bed with lights off. Uh, how much do you try to control what your players eat? Uh, how much will you try to control how much sleep they get? Uh, that sort of thing. Well, some of those issues like that, I mean, that rest is really important. Uh, I think it's really important. And, uh, and then at uh, uh, meals and stuff like that, I'm hoping that uh, we can all uh, uh, have our meals together so we can discuss. You know, I got the on the team, I got the brightest, uh, in my opinion, pool talent in the world on the team. So, so uh you know, uh, uh, it should make my job relatively easily easy from that standpoint because uh, these guys are definitely uh, uh, super smart when it comes to playing pool and winning. Nick, uh, maybe you could tell us now. It's, it's still early, of course. We're we're more than a month away from the Moscone Cup. But have you had? Have you already been in uh, contact with your players? Have you guys started making plans? And if not, when does that kick in? Well, I'll try to talk to. Uh, um, everyone, and then uh, uh, I did see Johnny, and I saw uh, uh, Rodney uh, up at uh, the IPT tournament in Chicago over the weekend. So, so we uh, we were discussing a couple things, and and uh, I'm sure the rest of the team will feel the same way. But I, I think those guys are really uh, we were already discussing some things about <laughs> the cup. So. Uh, everybody's kind of zeroed in on it, and uh, and I hope to talk to the rest of the team pretty soon here and and uh, touch base with them and see if there's anything that they need me to do to uh, to uh, 
uh, what I can do to make their performance better over there in Malta. Yeah. One other question uh, that uh, Mike asked earlier uh, about the pressure and stuff. Uh, uh, you know, I'm really not going to stress that because those guys all know what pressure is. Uh, uh, everybody now has played on the Moscone Cup on this team. I guess last year Shane would have been a newcomer to the team, but now he's he's got a year under his belt. So, so they're not going. None of these players are, are going into an unknown situation. So I I, I think that's always a, a a big help because they felt that intense pressure in the Moscone Cup. So I certainly don't see any need to uh, you know draw their attention to anything like that. I want to focus more on things like. Uh, uh, just the focus and concentration, and uh, I think those are going to be the keys to having great execution. And and uh, really, my role is just a supporting role. Those are the guys that are playing there. Those are the guys that's going to have to win. And uh, I'm just there to try to, if I can offer any advice that can be helpful, uh, I'll be there for the team. Well, Nick, that's wonderful, and we certainly do appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for coming to Run Out Radio and talking with us. Well, thanks for inviting me, Jerry, and thank you, Mike. Thanks. All right, we will see you down the road, and we will see you in Malta. Thanks very much, Nick Varner. Okay, see you guys soon. Well, that was great talking to Nick Varner. He's the American captain. Now we've got Alex Laley on the phone, and Alex is the captain of the European team. So let's take a listen and see what Alex has to tell us. Hey, Alex, are you on the line? How are you doing? Hey, Jerry, what's up? Same old stuff. Alex, you've been, of course, named the captain of the European Moscone Cup team. Have you already begun preparations? Uh, There hasn't gone a day by where I don't think about it. So I'm thinking about it every day. Well, you've got an awfully strong team. How do you like your chances? Well, I'd like us to be the underdogs, but I'm afraid I can't state that because the way that the European players are performing and just the mere fact that we're leaving two world champions at home uh, will make it hard to call ourselves the underdogs. But of course, history of the Moscone Cup uh, is heavily uh, favoring the Americans. So it's just it's just going to be a match, but but the guys, the European guys, are playing awfully well all year, and really have found their winning way. So um, I expect to just, you know, I just have to facilitate them and let nature take its course because uh, that is going really well all year. Well, Alex, Jerry, and I had talked about that very thing a little bit earlier before uh, before we brought you and and Nick on prior to you. Do you think that it is more pressure for Team Europe to play this year, seeing as how they are kind of looked at as the favorites? No, I don't think so. I, I think in this event you always feel pressure. And if you if you feel bad about your own game, you, you feel pressure going into the tournament for this reason. And if you're feeling good, you'll feel some pressure for not doing well in the tournament, although you have done well for the whole year. So, you know, there's always going to be pressure, but I think it's a, it's over. It would be over analysis to, to conclude that. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's going on in Europe right now with, with their dominance of the game? Uh, well, I think we've grown towards this, this period for a long time. And, uh, 
a number of European players, the elite players, have been working hard on their game for years and have been traveling a lot, coming to the States, going to Asia. So, you know, and, and then that all of a sudden they, they all start winning titles. That is pretty exceptional, I think. But it was only a matter of time for for players like Niels uh, to start winning big ones and, and Mika. And, of course, Darren Appleton winning the 10-ball is... Well, he was sort of a long shot, but not for me. Uh, ever since the first day I saw him play, you know, I really rate his game highly. As of all the other British players, because I played the Euro Tour in Weert uh, in September, and I hadn't played the Euro Tour in a year, and I was really marveled by the overall level of play, how it has gone up, and a major contribution to that is that of the British players, where before there were maybe five, six, now there's... 25, 30, and for example, I saw Phil Burford gambling against Shamat and beating him in 10 ball in a race to 15. So that's a young kid that I never saw play, and Chris Melling, and of course, Imran, Raj, Daryl, Darren, Carl Boyes, there's so many, I think that the British players make a big contribution to the instant development that the European pool has gone through in the last year or two years. Well, I know you're very, very familiar with the games of Mika and Ralph and, and Neil Sion, but are you going to have some problems trying to figure out what to do with Tony Drago and Mark Gray? I mean, how well do you know their games? Well, I know uh, everyone's game I know really well, except for Mark Gray, because he came onto the scene when, when I exited, and he has made a... You know, a good good debut because he was uh, he's ranked number one for over a year now. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I saw him play in the World Cup of Pool in Rotterdam, and he doesn't miss many balls. And handling yourself in the Moscone Cup is another thing. But I'll be I'm planning to see him end of November. I'll fly to the UK and have a little chat. And Tony, I know him really really well, and I'm really not too bothered because I saw him play last year in Vegas. On the television, of course, and uh, he didn't do too bad, I think. <laughs> so, have you identified any major problems or issues that you think are going to be uh, uh, your biggest hurdle to jump in uh, Malta? No, I think the, the only issues uh, in the past were that we're, we were playing the Americans, and and they played well. And uh, sometimes the Europeans have underachieved. But I think uh, all, the, all the guys have come, have really matured in their games. No, not a major hurdle. It's, you know, it's tough enough as it is to bring bring your own game in the Moscone Cup. So, but I think the the problems or hurdles are just the same as normally, but it's a little, it's a little more hectic out there than in a regular tournament. So I don't foresee any uh, major problems, but of course, with the pressure and all, and being a team event, uh, uh, it's possible that egos of players might um, uh, cause a little friction. Okay, but then that, that that's my role to, you know, to 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 keep everyone happy. And sometimes, if you get a little friction, but then all shake hands in the end, it might just add to the to the team spirit sure 
Well, Alex, that is something that Team Europe has always excelled in, is putting their egos aside and coming together as a team, supporting each other even when they're not playing at their absolute top level. What is it that has made Team Europe able to do that where Team USA has seemed to struggle? Uh, well, I think it's two reasons. The one, the first, or one of the two, is that we grow up with um, team competition. So we play a club league where all the top players play each other within a team. And we have the, on the European Championships, we have the, the nations playing against each other. So that's where I and Nick and Niels, for example, would be playing uh, Ordman, Suke and Engert. And, and that, that has always been like that. So you get used to supporting the other guys. And the sport pool hasn't grown or developed, has not developed in the same ways in the United States. So no gambling. The, the, it's more of a sport in Europe. So all the, yeah, most of the good players, they, they didn't grow up gambling. You know, some players will gamble and will play for money, but, the the attitude towards the game is more like that of an athlete, I think, more than the of the American players. Well, one of your players, Tony Drago, I mean, was certainly a key to Team Europe's success last year. But Tony can be a real hot and cold player. If he gets hot and he gets his confidence rolling, he's almost unstoppable. Is there anything that you can do as a team captain? Do you want to get him out there early to try to get his confidence going, or, or how do you go about managing that sort of thing? I think this is classified information. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't tell Nick. Uh, well, he'll, he'll do his homework. No, I haven't figured it out yet. You know, it, uh, it'll come, and I'm not. I'm not uh, I don't have a veto, so you know, I'm, I'm the coach, and but we'll be talking about it together. But of course, it will be uh, very important to keep the more emotional players happy. Because, um, well, Niels, Niels Feijen and Ralf Souquet are definitely, without a doubt, uh, emotionally more stable than Tony. <laughs> but then again, it, that is exactly where Tony's strength uh, lies. That he's very explosive. So when, when we do find the fuse, he's very, you know, he's going to be very useful. And it's a multi, you know, maybe he will, he will feel extra pressure, but in the past uh, he, he has played the, the Malta Cup, it's a big snooker tournament, in front, of, in front of his home crowds regularly. I think it's held every year, so, you know, he's been around so long. He's been around maybe 30 years on the, on the pro level, playing in front of camera, so he, he has more camera experience than anyone, maybe, maybe all the players together equal his his number of hours that he's played in front of the, the cameras. Alex, you seem to have uh, stepped away from playing so much. You mentioned that you had played in the one Euro Tour event earlier in the year, but my understanding is that you're concentrating more on the coaching side of things. How is that going? Uh, it's all right. I, I do some coaching, and uh, uh, like in Holland, I'll, I'll coach groups of players now and then. And uh, the thing I enjoy most is with uh, Johan Ruising. With uh, Johan Ruising, we've uh, organized boot camps where we get a number of players, uh, between 18 and 24 players. Uh, we, we, we give them the same, 
the same routines and the same drills that we've been working on with the Dutch team for years. And that is a lot of fun. Uh, Johan and I did one in uh, in Russia recently or a couple months ago. And that is a lot of fun. And of course, that's where I learned a lot from Johan because he's very methodical and punctual uh, trainer. And and I brought my, 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 my playing skills in, but I also think that I, I'm good with uh, with people to, to explain stuff like that. So that's all right. I, I'm, I still do a lot of work related to pool, so I'll write about it and I'll do some commentating and I'll... I, I get to do the coaching in the Moscone Cup, so that's really good. Well, Alex, we sure do appreciate your time as well today. It's great being able to talk to both you and Nick in the same day. It sounds like we've got a couple of Moscone Cup team captains who are both very optimistic about their chances. And when I look at the two teams, boy, it's easy to see either of these teams coming out ahead. But good luck, and we will see you in Malta. And thanks again for your time today. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care. Well, Mike, both uh, Alex and Nick uh, sound pretty confident. Uh, that's really going to be a toss-up. That should be a great Moscone Cup over there in Malta this year. Yep, I wish I was going to be there. Um, I think you will have a real good time there. And I'm looking forward to cover or to uh, following the event online. Uh, I guess that's about it for this week. I mean, it's been a, a long show. We've covered a lot of ground. I want to remind everyone, of course, to please, please, please support our sponsors. For Run Out Radio, of course, that's Tiger Products and Predator Cues. Those are good people, and we need them. So, for Mike Howerton, I'm Jerry Forsyth. We're going to sign off for this week, and we'll be back just as soon as the billiard world gives us another topic to speak about.